stage that uh, hangs today in the museum of uh, Andrew Poor's room, and uh, people flood through there and are inspired, and their lives are changed, and uh, I appreciate everyone making fun of me, saying, yeah, but you forgot the word love in it, and I, I understand that, but thank you for making fun of me, I appreciate that. But as I wanted to, I will be speaking to the seniors at baccalaureate, so there will be one, one final message, one final charge to the senior class. But as we gather here this morning before Honors, Honors Chapel next week, we get ready to conclude the sermon, uh, conclude the chapels from hearing from the bishop. I just wanted to uh, remind us of some of the great things we have heard today. And then we're going to go to the Lord's table. and uh, Some men and women who have invested in many of your lives, whether you realize it or not, who have invested in the youth of today, teenagers, and have given their lives and ministries to it, they will be serving us communion this morning along with a few students. So we'll go to the Lord's table today as we conclude. But the thing is, I was reviewing the chapel calendar this week, the thing that really stood out to me was uh, just some amazing speakers who shared some real difficult times in their life and how God had given them strength. We have just come through uh, the Easter season, we're still in Pentecost, and, and soon we will have Pentecost Sunday. And it's a powerful time in the church calendar. I hope it's been a powerful time in your life. I have been amazed and encouraged, and you have inspired me, for I know many of you fasted for 40 days. Not just fasted a meal, but you fasted from food completely for 40 days and prayed for this community and prayed that the Lord will do a work in your life. And others of you fasted and, and tried to acquire spiritual disciplines that I hope you don't leave in the 40 days. I hope you carry them with you. See, the thing that we have a hard time with in the church is living in ordinary time. It's what the church calls ordinary time. We have Advent and the Christmas season. We have Lent and we focus as a community. We focus on our churches. Around the world we focus on Lent and we gather together on Easter Sunday to say that He has risen. He has risen indeed and it is great and it's beautiful and it's wonderful and the church moves towards Pentecost Sunday that symbolizes the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon the church and, and we give praise and glory to God for that. And then we move into ordinary time. We don't give that much attention. We move into ordinary time, and in your lives, many of you will be going back to live at home for the summer, which I know many of you call a mission field. Some of you are asking for prayer because you have to live with mom and dad for the summer. We'll be praying for you. But I'm coming to the understanding, and I'm coming to the belief that it's in that ordinary time where God most shapes and forms us. It is not the only time that God shapes and forms us, but I think... That is a period and a season in our lives where we need to learn to be faithful in ordinary time. Because it is there that God is shaping and molding us in ways that doesn't get a lot of attention. It doesn't get a lot of mention, but it is so important. And so as I was looking over the chapel calendar we've had this semester, I'm remembering of Dr. Stacy Minger, professor of preaching at, at Asbury Theological Seminary, who several years ago was uh, diagnosed with MS and you may remember, she, she has this crazy spiritual belief that God, uh, that this disease, she's going to make this disease her friend. She doesn't believe God brought it into her life. That is not her theology or thinking, but she believes that she must view MS as her friend and see what God is going to teach her through that. That is a, that is a powerful testimony. We heard from Dr. Deal during the revival services, and I know we all loved hearing from Brother Deal, and we'll bring him back soon, I hope. And he shared how he experienced this miraculous healing of cancer. It was miraculous. That God intervened in his life and the cancer was gone. And it really is an amazing testimony that we need to hear that God still does heal today. But you may also remember when he spoke of his son who had cancer and God did not heal him. Not on this side of heaven anyway. He has received the ultimate healing. 
He is with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But So one day during the week, Dr. Deal preaches about his son and how painful it was and how the cancer took his life and left two small girls. And, and two days later, he's still giving praise to God of all the great and good things that he has, has done in his life. And he still has questions and he still wrestles and he still mourns his son and he still weeps over the loss of his son. But he gives this incredible testimony how, how God gives him the strength, how God is his peace and his comfort and his joy. These are stories we need to hear. You may remember we heard from Dr. Dorothy Phillips, the chemist. She works on the North Shore at a large company. She was the first African-American graduate, you may remember, from Vanderbilt University from the School of Arts and Sciences. They now give an award in her name every year. The first African-American to graduate from Vanderbilt University's School of Arts and Sciences. Now they honor her every year. As she shared her story and shared her testimony of God's faithfulness, she talked a little bit about her life growing up in Nashville, how it was much like we see in the movie The Help, that her family members, her father was a minister, but her mother and all her relatives and friends, they all cared for other children of the rich white folk. And yet as her story unfolds, you see that God breaks cycles of oppression. She's a powerful testimony. The ones that are most inspiring to me are the ones that I've heard from you. The ones that I've heard from students of what God is doing in your life. And, and many of them, you haven't even come to the point where you realize what a miraculous thing God is doing in your life. Some of you are still clueless to that. I'm not putting you down. You just don't see that God is doing amazing things. For some, it's just the fact that, you, that God brought you here. And you think, no, I came for academics or I came because it's close by or I came for athletics. I disagree. God brought you here for a purpose and for a reason. He's doing amazing things in your life. It's a wonderful testimony. Your life is a wonderful testimony, whether you realize it or not. I've heard the wonderful testimonies of those in our Reach Out Wednesday night service that is student-led, and all, all students do the music and speaking, and just the incredible testimonies, how they have inspired you. And at the close of this service, during communion, a student will sing a song that has become a prayer in her life and can be a prayer in your life as well. So as I... Listen to these stories. If I'm, as I am reminded of what God has taught us, as I am reminded of how God has blessed us by putting incredible people before us, I am reminded of a sermon I first spoke when the seniors were freshmen. I taught them a Hebrew word, de'enu, which simply means enough. It means God is enough. Do you really believe that? Will you live in such a way? I was preaching from the book of Ruth where her mother-in-law, Naomi, was telling her, just go back to your people. I've lost everything. You have no husband. Go back to your people where you can at least have a family, where you at least have some protection. If you come with me, you'll be a foreigner or a widow. You'll be lower than a slave if you come to live with me. And Ruth says, don't, don't press me to leave you or turn back from me. Where you go, I will go. And your God will be my God. Or in other words, if I can paraphrase, your God is enough for So the God of Dr. Stacy Minger, the God of Dr. James Deal, the God of Dr. Dorothy Phillips, the God of these students that you are in community with, their God truly is enough for you. As I was thinking and preparing to speak on ordinary time and was preparing the message, I want to confess to you this morning that I will be preaching a sermon by someone else. It's very brief. And then we'll go to the Lord's table. But I need to give a little bit of background before I read 
one of the most powerful emails I've ever received. I have received permission from the pastor and parents of this young man to share it. In fact, they asked me to. So let me give you a little background. A few weeks ago, I shared a, a story how when I was in chapel here one morning with, uh, with David Johnson from the founder and director of Silent Images, and a young man comes running down the sanctuary aisle. Um, and I believe we have a picture of June that uh, we'll put up on the screen here momentarily. So this young man comes running down the aisle, and I could tell the way that he was running, it was a, he was a little off balance, and uh, I sensed there was some sort of special need, but there was no parent with him, there was no guardian for this Festival of Life weekend, at least when he was running down the aisle. And so David and I were here were preparing, as, as June, as his name was, running down the aisle, and and he's standing here and he's looking for something. And I know many of you heard this story, but for those who weren't, we have many guests with us today. I just want to give some background. As he, as he was standing here at the altar and he was looking and he could not talk. He was communicating, which I've come to understand in a level much higher than I have. I assumed he had a, a severe case of autism and I've later learned that is what he does have. And he, he wasn't looking at me, no matter how much I said to him, he wasn't looking. But he was making some noises and he's looking around and he's very excited and he's He's almost hyper, and he comes up on stage, and he's, he's just looking for something. And I, I, don't know what, I don't know what to do. I'm a little nervous, and David is trying to figure out what to help. And I said, David, why don't you just go to the church office? I don't know if, if this young man was from, from a local home, if, if he lives nearby. I didn't know. And then his mother comes running in, and, and uh, she, she gets him, and, and she's getting ready to take him out. And, and she said, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. I said, oh, don't, you know, don't, don't apologize. The night before, the gospel choir had sung here in, in the chapel for Festival of Life. And, and, and as she was uh, taking him out, she said, he's just looking for... And, I, and then he got anxious again. He's looking, and he's kind of screaming, and he's, he's looking for something. And she said, he's, he's looking for the gospel choir. And as I shared that story in a message just a few weeks ago, that the lamp of God has not yet gone out. And that when the world tells us the gospel of Jesus Christ cannot break through barriers, June's life says otherwise. Well, I learned more about June, and I'm going to allow him to give the message this morning before we go to the Lord's table. After that chapel, the, the, the husband of the pastor of June's church came up to me and said, there's a backside of that story you really must know. June does have autism. And just last year, they realized he can communicate through typing. Fifteen years of his life, he could not communicate at all. At least, he was just at a higher level of communication, is the way I'd like to describe it. And he says, my wife goes in, June's pastor goes in and reads to him chapters of the Bible. She's one of his tutors. And the next day, June will write out the entire chapter that his pastor had read the day before. Fifteen years. He could not communicate, and yet you have this brilliant young man. Well, June was asked to share his thoughts on Festival of Life, and so he, he wrote them out. And his pastor said, I just wanted to share this with you. And before I read June's brief email, the sermon of the day, the gospel lesson is this verse, John 15, 21. And they compelled the passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry 
Jesus' cross. This is the gospel of our Lord. So June, tell us your thoughts on Festival of Life. And he writes this. Again, he's only been writing and communicating for a year, and this is what he writes. I had a fun time with so many young people. It was an exciting moment. However, I felt sorry for myself because I couldn't participate in any program. I also saw the freedom they had, how they can do what they want to do, but I cannot do what I want to do. It frustrated me. I became so blue when I compared my ability to theirs. I was shocked to think how dependent I still am on my mom. I cried out, realizing my fate, and asked my mighty God, what am I to do about my fate? I felt this is my cross, but it is too heavy to carry. I remember when Jesus carried his cross going to the crucifixion. It was too heavy for him too. A man carried it for him. I felt my parents, my church family, and my tutors are like that man. They support me and encourage me to keep carrying on my life. I felt my mighty God's power and his love. And then he writes this poem. I am not afraid of my fate, because I feel my mighty God's love like spring. I am not afraid of my ability that is like winter, because my mighty God's love can break my winter and bring new life like spring. I am not afraid of my fate, because my mighty God prepares for spring for me. I am not afraid of my life, because I have my mighty God's power and his spring love. At the end of chapel, we'll place his pastor's email address on screen before you walk out. The pastor said, do you think any students, if they find any encouragement from his email or been touched by his message, do you think they would be willing to drop me an email and I'll print it and give it to June? I think some of you will. I'm not afraid of my life because I have my mighty God's power and his spring love. So you've heard the stories. God has placed people before us. God has brought people into our community, if only for a day. And with this loud voice, they are saying over and over and over again, God is enough. God is enough. Whether you're facing disease or whether you have lost a loved one, whether you are facing injustices within society or whether you are facing autism, where most of the world can't hear you for 15 years, God is enough. I don't mean to put these people on a pedestal to compare you don't have it as bad as they do. That's not what I'm trying to do. I don't think we should do that. I'm not trying to take advantage of them in any way. I'm just trying to show that their lives are living testimonies that God is enough. So is he enough for you? And if these stories speak, if the gospel message through them speaks to you, then make God your God today. Why wait any longer? I know you think you may have come here for academics or athletics or for some other reason, but I would tell you that God has brought you here for a purpose and a plan in your life, and it's so you too can say, my God is enough and I will serve and follow him. How will you respond? Will you live in a way that says God is enough? 
You have seen what followers of Christ are like, and we are not perfect. In case you haven't received that news bulletin, ENC is not perfect, let me tell you now. But as followers of Christ, I know, I know that you have seen students. I know that you have seen faculty. I know you have seen chapel speakers who live in a way that says God is enough. And not only that, their love for you and their love for others, they too pick up the cross of others and carry it for them when it is too heavy. That is what followers of Jesus Christ are all about. So if you decide today to say, Lord, you truly are enough, I will serve and follow you all the days of my life, you will not regret it. There is eternal salvation. You will be with our Lord and Savior for all eternity. But he then calls us to carry the cross of others when it becomes too heavy for them. And this takes on many shapes, many forms. You've heard different speakers, different organizations. They've all come through. Whether to the mountains of Peru or to silent images in Africa, whatever it may be. Or just helping a roommate or helping someone on your floor carry the cross of Christ. Will you decide to do that today? Will you decide today to say, yes, God, you are enough. I've heard your story. I've seen it in the lives of members of this community. I will now serve and follow you as well. I plead and beg that you will follow us. In the Church of the Nazarene, as we go to the Lord's table, we have an open table. What that means, it's not for me to say who can come and who cannot come to the Lord's table. It is the Lord's table. He prepared it. All are welcome. And in a moment, youth workers and a few of your fellow students are going to serve communion, those who have invested in your lives, many to get you here today. They will be living testimonies that God is enough in their life as well. And Wesley believed that going to the table itself can be an act of conversion. An act, a moment where you say before you take the, the bread and the symbolism of the blood of Christ, that that can be your moment where you say yes. I will follow you, Lord. You are more than enough, and I will live in the same way you live for me, giving your life. While the elements are being served, one of your fellow students will sing. I'm going to ask that you hold the elements so that we can partake together as one community. Could I have a service come forward at this time? As I lay me down, heaven hear me now, I'm lost without a cause, after giving it my all, winter storm. 
Let us pray. And before we go to the Lord's table this morning with your heads bowed and eyes closed, we want to give an opportunity for prayer of confession and repentance before we go to the Lord's table to make sure our hearts are right, but also to give an opportunity for you to say, Yes, Lord, you are enough for me. So now in a silence beyond words, lift your prayers of confession, repentance, and turn to the Lord this morning. Father, for the times that we, that I, in this community have failed to truly demonstrate and proclaim the love and grace and peace and power of Jesus Christ, I ask for your forgiveness. May we be a community that does not allow anything to get in the way of caring for, loving, and supporting one another. May we not get in the way of when you call us to help someone carry their cross. Thank you for your messenger who we have heard from today, June. We pray your blessing upon him. And now, Lord, as you reminded us through the lives of others, may people in this chapel, if they have not done so already, say, yes, Lord, I want you to be my God. I accept Christ as my Lord and Savior. And now, in the authority of God's word, please hear these words and never forget them. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. On the night that our Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it, and he said, This is my body broken for you. Every time you eat of this bread, do so in remembrance of me. On that same night, he took the cup and he said, This is my blood which was shed for you. Every time you drink of this cup, remember of my love for you and be forever thankful. Let us pray. Father, as we gathered around your table to remember, may we remember and now may we live in the same way of what this table symbolizes. Giving our lives for others. In the name of Jesus Christ. We pray these things now in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. Go in peace. You are dismissed to love God and serve others.